Well, if you have your Bible, opening up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 is what we'll be looking at tonight as we continue to think about Peter's message to the church that's struggling, to the church that's dealing with persecution, the church that's finding themselves out of favor in the world that they're living in. You know, when I think about lessons that my children need to learn, maybe towards the top of that list is the reality that life isn't fair. Isn't that a hard lesson to learn? That life isn't fair. Uh, people will do things, people will say things, people will respond in certain ways, and, and, and I, I don't always understand why. And sometimes those things are painful. They can be painful emotionally, they can be painful physically. And if we're not careful, we, we can become people who just whine and whine and whine all about how this person has done this and this person has done that and, and this just isn't fair. And I find myself with my children saying, well, life isn't fair. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you're going to be. Now, I lesson to my children. I see a lot of you who are shaking your heads up and down. Absolutely, they need to learn that lesson and they need to learn it quickly. That being said, no matter how many times I try to teach others that lesson, I'm still continually surprised when life isn't fair. I'm still continually surprised when, when you do the right thing and you suffer as a result of that. It's in these moments, it's in these moments that, that, that I believe Peter was writing about when, when he wrote the book of 1 Peter, that our faith is really put to the test. When who we are and what we believe and what our character is will, will really be put to the test. And it's in these moments that I think we have some of our greatest opportunities to really show Jesus. Why are you a Christian? Why do you live as a Christian? Why do you behave as a Christian? Why do you respond as a Christian? Is it simply because people appreciate it? Is it simply because it produces positive results in your life? Is it simply because there is this system that is reinforcing our Christianity? Or is there something deeper? Listen, if we're going to be lights in a world of darkness, if we're going to follow Christ in a hostile world, we, we have got to come to an understanding that who I am is not determined by the way that others treat me, but that who I am is determined, it's determined by Jesus himself and who he is and my allegiance to him. He begins here in verse 13, as he's been, you remember, encouraging them, dwell upon, think about your salvation, long to grow in the body, to, to taste of the kindness of the Lord. But then in verse 13, he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God." You understand in this, in this message, he says, that he gets into using this word submission, right? And this is very much akin to what we talked about this morning when we talked about the importance of being willing to humble yourself for some greater good, for some greater purpose. Submit yourselves to every human institution, whether to king or to, as to those in authority or to governors, it's a, it's a bold statement about where our submission ought to be. That, that there is a tendency for us to think we will submit, we will submit to, to those rulers in our world, whether, whether you listen, you can talk about this in our current political context, or you could put this in any place, anywhere in the world, because this is the gospel we're talking about, right? And he says, I want you to be a person who's in submission, Anybody ever struggle with that? What do you think of our current president, Joe Biden? Okay. What do you think of our former president, Donald Trump? What do you think of the president before that, Barack Obama? Have I caused struggle for any for pretty much everybody in the room? Right? I mean, that's kind of I mean, we can keep going we can keep on going back until we find someone that you're struggling with, right? But, but, but I think most of us, I mean, we would say, oh, you know, this is not what I would think ideally. He says, I want you to be in submission to them. And you could bring that on the local level, and the state level, however, to your Congress, whatever. I, I don't know. But it's the rationale for that submission. He's not just saying be in submission because be in submission because they are the greatest president that there ever has been. Be in submission because all laws make complete sense, and if I was writing the laws as, as a godly man, that's exactly what I would do too. That's not what he says, is it? He says, I want you to be in submission, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, for such is the will of God. Verse 16, as bond servants or slaves of God. You see, our submission, he says, you need to understand, it's not based upon the other guy. It's not based upon your personal circumstance. Because if it is, we always find these, these rationales to compromise. Well, you're not doing this, so now I don't feel compelled that I have to do whatever I need to do. We've all done that, right? Our mothers would try to teach us two wrongs don't make a right, but yet we continue to try to make that argument. We don't have to be 12 to make that argument. Most of you are pretty good at 43 making that argument, right? And some of you older than that. We won't go there. But, 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 but to understand, he's saying that your submission, it's not, about, it's not about who the governor is. It's about God. There's a, a parallel over in Colossians chapter 3 where, where he's, going to, he's, going to talk about, he's going to talk about our relationships um, this is Colossians 3 and verse 18. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. 
Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Slaves, in verse 22, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Do do you understand what he's saying here? That that God, God doesn't say to us, okay, wives, I want you to respect your husband when he is completely worthy of your respect. Now, would that be a problem? I'm just going to tell you, your husband would be the first person to say that sometimes he, he doesn't deserve that respect. But yet I've heard a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of women say, well, I respect him when, when, whenever he deserves that respect. Well, you're setting up an impossible situation. No, the Bible says you respect your husband because this is what is fitting in the Lord. To husbands, the admonition to love your wife when she's being lovable. Is that what he says? Once again, no, that's not what he says because, once again, there's going to be moments, right? Everybody look at the floor real quick. Don't make any eye contact. There are going to be moments when your wife is not all that lovable, except for mine, always lovable, right? But that... That love that you have, it's that unconditional love. Why? It's not based on the way that she's treating me. It's not the way that he's treating you. It's based on God himself. Children, why should you obey your parents? Obey your parents because Father knows best. Because your parents are always completely consistent. They're always completely wise. They always do exactly the right thing. Parents, is that true? No, it's not true. And at times, young people, in spite of their best efforts, you're going to see that out of your godly parents, that they're struggling to know how to raise you in the the admonition of the Lord. Even in those moments, he says, be obedient, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. My children are not to obey me, not because I am the perfect parent, because if they're waiting for that, they will never obey me. Listen up, guys. My kids, eye contact, right? Obey me because of your relationship with God. Even in terms of the slave-master relationship. What a, what, a, what a dysfunctional relationship that is, right? This is one of those things where Christianity leads us out of these things. But here he says to the slave, to the doer. he says, obey those who are your masters. And by the way, we're not talking about lip service here. We're not talking about, okay, I'll do what i got to do. I'll go through the motions, right? Nope. He says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. See, your boss may be a real jerk, but he says the way that you respond to him isn't about what type of man he is. The way you respond to him has everything to do with who your master is, fearing the Lord truth is, in summation, this is Colossians, verse 23, whatever you do, you, you, you pick out your relationship. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. If we don't get that, if we don't set that foundation that who I am is all about me reflecting Christ, not me simply responding to other people, 
then we will always justify our bad behavior. We will always justify our rebellion. We will always justify, well, well, I said this, but he said that. You know, well, I know, I know that I, I did that thing, but do you know what she did? Everybody done that? We had those conversations, right? Listen, doesn't matter. I'm going to be who I am based on who God is, based on who my Lord is, based on who Jesus Christ is. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This, this summation verse that he gives us in verse 17, he continues, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. I like what he says here because it's challenging. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. The, the, the footnote of my Bible says, to those who are perverse. Anybody ever had an unreasonable relationship? Anybody ever had an unreasonable boss? Anybody? Some of you want to raise both hands and both feet? I mean, you do. It's like, you shouldn't be treating me this way right? This is not right. This is not fair. And Peter says, be submissive to them. Especially be submissive to them. I told you this is hard, right? This is very difficult stuff. For this, he says, finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. You want to know what stands out? What stands out is not, is, is not um, you know what, you, you, you have this wife who, who respects you so much, and in that moment, uh, you, you, just, you just constantly are affectionate and loving towards her. So what? That's not really not all that impressive, is it? Or, you know what, your, your employer gives you a bonus once a month. They, they bend over backwards if you need a day off, and you're just a model employee. Well, yeah, I would expect that. you got a good thing going there, right? That's really not all that impressive. You want to know what finds favor? What finds favor of God? What gets God's attention? Is if, for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief. Hey, do you want to know the only reason that I'm not compromising in what I'm saying and what I'm doing and who I'm being? It's because of God. When I'm suffering unjustly. In, in the next chapter, or in two chapters over in chapter 4, uh, he, will talk about, he will talk about those who are suffering justly. That ever happened to us? Sometimes we suffer because we bring those things upon ourselves. Right, we sow to the wind and we reap the whirlwind. You ever, you know, um, somebody come, you know, kids have come home from school and oh, you know, I, I did horrible on that test and they gave me a bad grade. But and the re- and you begin to ask this question. Well, they gave you a bad grade because you didn't study at all, right? What did you expect? Th- that's a life lesson there. First well, Peter four and verse fifteen, he says. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. That's not the type of suffering we're talking about. If you're suffering because of your own sin, you ought to be able to figure out why you're suffering. And I don't really feel sorry for you, okay? That's not really that hard to compute. He's talking about unjust suffering. 
He's talking about you're doing the right thing and you're suffering because you did the right thing. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, then let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Back to 1 Peter 2. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Do you, I mean, do, do, you, do, you want a, do you want a sticker for that? No, that, that's not a, not a big deal. But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So Jesus says, I'm not here to take away all your problems. Right? And by the way, a lot of problems would go away. A lot of problems would go away in this world if, if, if we would stop sinning. Is that a true statement? I mean, there's a ton of problems that would go away if we would stop sinning. Have you ever considered what, what would happen in this world if we would just eliminate fornication? Would, would that change the world? Would it take a lot of suffering out of this world? Well, you better believe it would take suffering out of this world. It would take a lot of diseases out of this world. It would take a lot of bad home, home situations out of this world. It would take a lot of abuse out of this world if you eliminated one sin. But that sin's always going to be there. What he's talking about is doing what is right. Hey, you know what? I didn't, I didn't lose my... I didn't lose my cool. I didn't say that ugly thing. I didn't do that thing, you know, that, 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 that everybody else was doing. I didn't, I didn't follow the crowd to do evil. Why am I suffering for that? Why am I suffering for that? How come it seems like doing the right thing is actually, it's actually causing me more grief? And the more and more the world turns away from the things of God, that hostile world we've been talking about, the more and more that we're going to see that. Go ahead and, 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 and stand up in your workplace and start talking about the will of God. You don't have to get them even the most controversial issues, right? Unless you just happen to work for yourself. Uh, but, but go ahead and start talking about those things and see how that goes over. See, see how, th- how, how people appreciate those things. Well, more and more. That's going to cause you issues, it, because people don't appreciate it. They don't want to hear it. That's the struggle. Hey, could I lose my job over this? Could I be penalized for these things? Could it cause me difficulty in, in these relationships? I mean, however you want to put it, yeah, it can. And th- that's, that's what they were struggling with. I, I, can, I will tell you honestly, some of the greatest suffering in my life Some of the greatest suffering in my life has come as a direct result of my faith in Jesus Christ. I wish that wasn't the case. But I know it is the case. Whether I want to talk about my life professionally or I want to talk about struggles within my family Some of the greatest suffering has come simply because I was a Christian, and there's a great deal of that suffering that could have been done away with if I only would compromise, if I would give up on my faith. And in those moments, I turn to places like 1 Peter chapter 2 because I need it. Because there's a part part of you that's like, okay, if I'll just do this, then I can be done with this, right? And do you hear what he says? God, God understands unjust suffering. 
He's not just saying, get over it. He's saying, I know, I understand. How does he know? How does he understand? Because that's exactly what Christ endured. The just for the unjust, right? For you, verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Don't, don't, let, don't let this be one of those verses that we rip out of its context, okay? The context is huge on this. You have been called for this purpose. What purpose? Suffering unjustly. That's not fair. I know. It's not right. You're, you're correct about that. But don't be surprised at it. I mean, one thing about the Bible is it's really upfront about the subject of suffering and what our faith can bring into our lives. It's, it's only, it's only in, in the last, you know, maybe hundred or so years of, of our society where we've, expected, where we've expected society to actually praise us for our Christianity. And you all know how that is fading quickly today. You've been called for this purpose Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. Over in John, John chapter 15, Jesus would say this to his disciples. These are, these are penetrating words, but I'm telling you, there's such strength that comes from these words. Okay? Just, just his, his being so upfront about the Christian life. If we don't get this, we're going to crumble in a hostile world. Okay, we're going to crumble whenever somebody doesn't pat us on the head and thank us for our faith. Get this, then we'll have strength no matter what the world says. Jesus in John 15, verses 18 through 25, it's lengthy. Jesus says, if the world hates you, man, I just don't know why they got such a problem. All I'm, try- all I'm trying to do is, is speak the truth of God's word, right? If the world hates you, well, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Oh. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Somewhere along the line, we, we picked up, and this is, this is one of the scourges of the modern church that I think, I hope I'm wrong, but I believe it will be the downfall of so many congregations of God's people across our land. This idea that we can take the truth and that if we present it in just the right way, that somehow it won't be offensive anymore. Now, I'm all about tact, right? I hope you know that. I mean, I I think that there is a... There's a, there's, a good, there's a better way to say things at times and still stand for the truth. I totally believe that. But it's a lie that simply if I say something in the right way that I'm going to get a positive response. See, that, that lie goes down this road that if you get a negative response that you must have, you must have been unsincere or unkind or, or something like that. That's a lie that Satan likes to tell us in order to get us to compromise. Because the truth is, Jesus says, um, they hated me. And here's, here's the difference among many of Jesus and your preacher. Jesus was perfect. Jesus always said it with the very best of intentions. Every single time. He always said it with the absolute perfect timing and in the absolute perfect tone and in the absolute perfect way. 
I don't always do that. So I can take some, some, some of the brunt of maybe I brought something upon myself from one point or another in my life. But that claim, Jesus says, it's not about the way. It's about what was said. Now, don't make yourself a martyr on those things and think that somehow just because people can't stand your guts, that, that makes you holy. It doesn't necessarily, but, but, but understand what he's saying here. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the work which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. This happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Once again, self-examining enough to say, am I the cause? But deep enough to know that the world is going to hate the truth without a cause. And as we struggle with that, we understand that we find our identity in Christ. Not in ourself, not in the world, not in our situation. We find our strength there. I will be who I am because of Christ who suffered for us, leaving us an example. Jesus suffered on the cross not only as a substitute. He didn't just die in our place. He did that, right? I mean, that, that, that propitiation, that, that role that, that Jesus plays there, he died so that we don't have to. All that's true. But, but he, Peter's saying, take it a step further. He didn't just die as a substitute for us. He died as an example for us. And so when we find ourselves on the receiving end of unjust punishment, we, we ought to be saying, okay, here's my opportunity to actually show Christ. When one strikes me on one cheek, and what are they expecting? Me to strike them back. But when I turn the other cheek, what am I showing them? Not Wes, I'm showing them Christ. That's the challenge of our faith. He's the example. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, he did not return insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten. The King James says, uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. I mean, are, are there more challenging words in all the Bible? There may be, but, but come up there towards the top for me. I mean, you think about on the cross, it's not only that he didn't call 10,000 angels, he didn't even give them a piece of his mind. He didn't, even, he didn't even say, we'll see. Anybody ever had that? that like, like, I'm not going to tell you what, what, what I think. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to hurt you because I don't do those things. But, but we'll see. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever wanted to say that? Well, most of us have, right? Jesus didn't even do that. As they beat him, as they spit in his face, as they destroyed his body, as they shamed him, as they tortured him. I'm just going to tell you, 
That's the example. See, Jesus came with a purpose. And that purpose is to be the sacrifice. This is very akin to what we talked about this morning, right? Jesus came to be the sacrifice. He didn't have to do that. And conversely, as we think about our lives today and how we approach the different things that we're going to face in life, and I don't, I don't know what life holds for you or me either tomorrow. I don't. But as I approach those things, I have to understand that this idea that Christ is calling me to follow in his steps, not just as a godly man, but as a sacrifice. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I beseech you or I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's for you to stand in those moments of unjust suffering and say, I am here in this moment to show people Jesus Christ. You know the old saying about the problem with living sacrifices, right? Living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. That's our lives. I mean, this is one of those things where we discipline ourselves, we buffet our bodies, because this is not easy. This runs counterintuitive to, to what we want to do when we want to stand up for our rights Back to verse 16, do not use your freedom. Hey, you can't treat me that way. Hey, you can't say those things to me. And and we're right about that, right? I mean, hey, this isn't fair. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves of God. That's the challenge. And it wasn't just that he endured. Here's the secret. I'll wrap this up, okay? When being reviled, he did not revile in return, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He kept trusting in God. Not not for God to come and take away all of his pain, because God didn't and wasn't going to do that. But he trusted that God was in control, that God had a purpose and that God had a plan that was greater than him even on the cross. And those are moments when we don't understand, when it just doesn't seem fair. Is your mind spinning with those moments in your life when you say, this isn't right, this isn't fair? In those moments, the admonition would be for us to trust in God, for us to understand that God is still in control. God's in control when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And God's in control when things in my life aren't fair. And they're not just. And that's why I can have peace. That's why I can have a peace that passes all understanding. Not because my problems go away, because they certainly haven't done that. Not because I understand everything about everything. Because I most certainly do not. But because I believe that He is in control. And that He will work even the unjust things to his good and to his glory. If I believe that, it will change me. If I don't believe it, 
I will constantly be filled with anxiety and strife and in danger of walking away from my faith. How do we respond? How do we respond when life isn't fair? Well, my suggestion would be that we strive to respond as Jesus responded. You remember that, and you'll be challenged by that. That's our challenge for this evening as we think about what Peter was saying to the church that was struggling. He says the same thing to us. Trust in him. Trust in him and his plan. You serve him. Whatever happens around you, whatever's going on in your home, whatever's going on in your, in your congregation, whatever's going on in your workplace, whatever's going on in your nation, whatever's going on in your world, you trust him and you follow him. And that's where we find true peace. Friends, if you're outside the body of Christ, come tonight, repent, be baptized. If sin is filling your life, come and repent of those things. If we fail to trust in God and to find peace in him, may we be a people that actually change our ways and do so tonight as we stand and as we sing.